the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. Uh, we made it to the end of another week. Uh, we'd love to have your calls, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as I remind you, every day, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You will be connected directly to our studio producer. Man, it just seems like there's so much going on. This Monday yesterday, and here we are, but we're almost done with February. This will be the final Sunday in February. Uh, it's going to be a different Sunday for us here at Calvary Chapel as we were going through the book of Acts. Uh, on three separate occasions, Paul gives his testimony, and from the very f- first time, uh, the Lord began knocking on the door of my heart and said, okay, uh, this is a time you're going to give your testimony as well. Uh, so I was just waiting for the right time, so we finished the book. So on this Sunday, rather than a Bible study, uh, I'm going to be sharing my testimony. Uh, I would appreciate your prayers. Uh, the last time I did it, it, it took for uh, like an hour and a half, and I have only 40 minutes on Sundays. So uh, I just would appreciate your prayers. We've got people inviting unbelievers, and, and uh, we're just praying that somebody gets saved. We, we we hope and pray that that's the case. So that is this Sunday here at Calvary Chapel, all three services. Uh, tonight, Pastor Ken will be teaching out of the Gospel of John. He's in chapter 3. I think tonight he's going to get to, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. You can watch that live stream at calvarysa.com at 7 o'clock. Uh, and then uh, tomorrow, of course, we have corporate prayer, a uh, bunch of stuff going on, as we always do. So um, I'll pray for you guys. You pray for me. Let's get to some questions while we await your phone calls. We'd love to end the week with some phone calls. Uh, here is a question from Jill. Jill, I told you I'd get it at the top of the program. Uh, you send it in right at the last part of our study or our show yesterday with Paula. So Jill says, and this comes from our mobile app, listening to your discussion about Mormons, is it okay to invite them in to your home? I understand that we should not have anything to do with them, referring to 1 John 1, 10 and 11. Uh, Am I being too legalistic, not inviting them into my home? My husband and I prefer trying to win them over like you do. Let me read First John one ten for the audience, Jill, and then I'll discuss the the uh, answer to your question. Uh, John writes this: If anyone comes to you but does not bring this teaching, 
Uh, do not receive him into your home or even greet him. Whoever greets such a person shares in his evil deeds. Now, we have to really and truly understand the context of 1 John. Uh, there was a Gnosticy that was, uh, uh, or a heresy that was introduced into the first century church very early. And John is combating the heresy of Gnosticism. Uh, Gnosticism taught that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. Uh, God is spirit. He had nothing to do with the flesh. And, of course, the, the, the bonus in all of that was, well, if God didn't come in the flesh, then he doesn't care what we do with our flesh. And people could justify uh, all kinds of sexual sin. So this is not an unbeliever. This is somebody who claims to be a believer, and they're trying to win over other believers uh, with their lies. So, Jill, um, what, what John is saying is we've marked out people who are doing this. Uh, if they come to you and they don't agree with the teaching that I've just come up with, uh, then, um, then don't let them in your sharing in their evil deeds. That is not the same for a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or somebody who is an unbeliever. So I think you inviting them into your home is a wonderful thing, being kind to them, especially, uh, Paul and I were talking about the elder elders, I call them the, the, the Mormons who are on the bikes or walking through the neighborhoods, uh, inviting them in. We used to give them, Paul used to prepare a sandwich for them, uh, and they were young, so they were always ready to eat. And you could sit down and have a conversation. If nothing else, they can see your kindness. They can see that you don't consider them an enemy. So talking to them is the right approach, declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ and then leaving the result of that up to the Holy Spirit. So uh, that you and your husband prefer to win them over in person, face-to-face, is exactly what the Lord would have you do. And the the passage and the context of the passage in 1 John chapter 1 uh, does not describe the situation you're in at all. So, Jill, you keep inviting them in. You keep sh- sharing the truth with them. And then pray for them, and hopefully the Holy Spirit will convince them of the truth of the Word. We've got a phone call waiting. Reuben, our friend from Seguin on line one. Reuben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. Always a pleasure to to talk to you and get your insight when I have questions about the Bible. Thank you, Reuben. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. I actually have two different ones. One of them I'm kind of I'm kind of hesitant to say because I don't I don't want to cause any. But okay, my uncle my uncle's a Jehovah's Witness. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I heard what you just told uh, the prior person, um, and the, ever since my dad passed away, and he saw the service that we did and everything, he of course they don't do that. They don't mm-hmm. do those kinds of services. Um, he started asking me questions. So ever since then, you know, we've been having like little impromptu Bible study whatnot. So, okay. All right. So the first, first question I have, uh, Revelation 17 and 8, um, it talks about the beast that you saw was and not, and is not. Okay. Um, and then further down, well, when it closes, it says, uh, when you see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Okay, his question to me was, number one, what is the beast? Number two, is it some kind of just poetic writing that they're writing when it says, what saw, when you saw was and is not, and then at the end where it says, when you see the beast that was and is not and yet is, did that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll get to that question. What's your second one? Okay, the second one is is basically um, in um, in Second Kings because um, we were reading and and then he came across these two things: Second Kings, ver- uh, chapter eight, verse twenty six talks about um, Jehoiakim, I believe. No, not Jehoiakim, mm-hmm. his son. Um, can, can I ask you the chapter to, again, Reuben? Yeah, Second Kings eight and twenty six. Okay. And, okay, go ahead. And it basically, okay, it just basically talks about when his father died. He t- he was twenty two years old, and uh, 
you know, he became king. But then he found, I don't know how he, like, cross-referenced or whatever, he found the Second Chronicles 22 and 2 that says he was 42. And he asked me, why does one scripture say he was 22 and the other one says he was 42? As a 20-age, yeah. and he got me on that one, and I'm afraid to, <laughs> you know, I'm afraid to... <laughs> To say like, you know, and, and like, a, I mean, honestly, it's just curiosity. I'm not, I'm not yeah. trying to, like, start a conspiracy or whatever. You know what I mean? I just yeah. honestly want to know. So, Ruben, I that, that's him. okay. I'll, I'll take that one first because that's a very common question. Um, the uh, the Second Chronicles account uh, does say that he was 42 years old. Um, the uh, uh, it, it's clearly a transcribing error uh, because the the age is right in the king's passage that follows sort of the chronology. Now people say, well, if there's transcribing errors, uh, especially numbers in Hebrew. Uh, can, can be very difficult. They're all so closely together, and they're translating older manuscripts. And so it was a transcribing error. There are uh, a few of those in our Old Testament, usually related to numbers, uh, the same kind of thing. Uh, but uh, it, it doesn't do any damage. Uh, we've got the correct account in in, in the King's story. Um, so... Um, uh, it, it's just a transcribing error. Now, uh, his father, short reign, uh, and he died at 40, his early death, um, should have served as a warning sign to Isaiah, uh, but he didn't pay attention. He did exactly what his father did as well. So the point there is the example of the father, the the, the son that did the same thing, uh, or, or actually walked in, in an even more evil fashion than his father did. Uh, so... Um, the the difference between the forty two and the and the the uh, twenty two uh, just a transcribal error that's all it is so I hope that makes sense to you Ruben uh, we don't have to um, defend that uh, it's just simple it's just especially Hebrew numbers can be very very hard and they're very very close in terms of the characters that that they're using um, let me go to the revelation question because. Uh, I think these are important. This is is literal. So um, the beast, um, we're, we're told in verse 8, the beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss. Uh, that's the abuso, uh, the bottomless pit, and go to his destruction. Now, in chapter 13, verse 4, the devil gives his authority to the Antichrist. So uh, the, the beast, who is the devil, gives his authority to the Antichrist. And the angel here reminds us that the source of his power uh, will also be the source of his or, or his final destination. He will he gets his power from the devil, the Antichrist does, and that's where he's going to spend the rest of his time. So uh, this beast... Uh, is is uh, explained in this. It says in the continuing in the verse, the inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because he once was, now is not, and yet to come. Now you've got to go backwards. We read in in uh, Revelation chapter thirteen, verse three. Regarding this man, the Antichrist, it says one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Now, we, we might think that somebody would be pretty amazed by a resurrection of the dead. Of course, when Jesus was raised, multitudes of generations have rejected that miracle. But this miracle, they're going to receive this miracle. And they're going to proclaim the beast, and this is the Antichrist, to be God incarnate. And, and uh, the fact that he raised from the dead, the devil's a counterfeiter, and he's doing that. Now, their eternal destiny has been sealed from the foundation of time. Uh, the names of those who... Uh, will not be fooled by this resurrection. Um, um, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, who will be fooled by the resurrection. Um, those names are not in the book of life because God knew they would reject his son. So this is the Antichrist that he's talking about. It would appear that he was dead. 
but he comes back to life, and he is going to then uh, reign terror on the rest of the world um, for especially the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation before he himself is destroyed. Reuben, good question. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585. Let's go to JR on line two. JR, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Thank you for uh, taking my call. Uh, I'm, I'm driving, so pardon me if, I, if I'm not real clear on a couple of Oh, uh, happy birthday, by the way. That was great. Oh. <laughs> I was listening yesterday. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for the audience, Jerry. Let me explain. This is my, my birthday in the Lord. It was 33 years ago today that I gave my life to Jesus Christ. So I told Paula this morning, I said, so how do I look for 33? She looked disappointed. But other than that, it's a good day. Hey, Pastor Ron, I feel confident you, you, you're familiar with... Uh, uh, pastor, he's a Calvary Chapel pastor uh, up at Tri City. His name is, and I hope I pronounce his last name correct, Steve Winery. Uh-huh. And yeah, I like to listen to him when I have time. And I, I uh, it's been a little bit since I heard this message from him, but it's concerning uh, Chronicles, First Chronicles, the uh, very right at the very beginning. Uh, you know, there's a lineage, and there's no begats or son of. It's just simply the names, listing names from Adam through Noah, I believe. And uh, he, it was very interesting the way he, he used the meanings of those names. If you study and look into the meanings, and I did that when I uh, got a chance. And I had to stretch a little bit, but using the meanings of those names, you can actually, as he said, you can actually pretty much make out the gospel. Have you have you ever heard that, or have you uh, thought about that before? Yeah, I have. Let me let me, let me comment first on Steve Winery. He he's a great guy. In fact, he's one of the newest. Uh, council members on our uh, our board of directors for Calvary Chapel Association, uh, really great guy, is a, 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 an ex cop, but really a good guy, and a, and a good Bible teacher. He is, however, a little on the mystical side, and I think you really have to 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 stretch things a little bit, Jr. Uh, to to come up with the gospel. Uh, I think Steve was a, he, there used to be a guy around Calvary Chapel for a very long time. He's now with the Lord. His name was um, Chuck, what was Chuck's last name? Chuck Missler. And uh, I, I know Steve was a fan of Chuck uh, and, um, and, and Chuck Missler would get into these really drawn out explanations of the names and here's the gospel uh, in the names of the people that were there. And and while I don't deny that there may be something there, uh, frankly, I just think it goes beyond uh, our responsibility as a Bible teacher to make those kind of guesses. Again, I don't think it does any damage to the text, uh, but but I do believe that, that uh, it is a stretch to say, well, this name means this or it could mean this. And, you know, I think we can come up with the gospel everywhere. But I have never been a fan, Jr. of trying to find secret codes or anything else in the Bible. Um, I, I don't think it's important. Let me tell you what I think is important. And this is this is timely for me, Jr. because I am uh, going to be beginning in First Chronicles this coming Wednesday um, uh, of next week. Uh, and uh, I, I think the the first ten chapters. There's we're going to go through those first ten chapters uh, very very quickly uh, because it's just as you said, it's just the names, it's just the the genealogies. And uh, I think personally, because chronicles, the chronicles account, unlike the kings accounts, the chronicles accounts are uh, are, are God's perspective on the kings of Israel, uh, both north and south. And, um, you know, when we read First and Second Kings, 
uh, and even part of First and Second Samuel, what we see is from a, from the perspective of Earth, we see what's going on with the kings. But but Chronicles gives us a little bit of a different spin. There's nothing contradictory. There's no different uh, story. It's just a different viewpoint, and it's as though God is giving us His perspective from heaven. And I think the fact that he begins with Adam is very important to us. I think it's it's almost as though God is saying, look, you're going to study the history of the kings. I went all the way back to, to Adam, uh, and we need to, to keep that focus um, on the word of God throughout. And it's just God saying, look, I began with Adam. He was the first. He, Adam and Eve, the first two people ever. And he created them by his own hand, and he told them to be fruitful and multiply. And what we have here is just the proof that they were fruitful and multiply. Now, there are some names that I'm going to um, to point out in, in, in my study on Wednesday night, Enoch in verse 3. Um, Enoch was a man who walked with the Lord for 300 years, but that didn't start until after he was 65, and he lived in a world uh, where every inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time. So Enoch was just like everybody else for 65 years, and then God sent him a message. And the message was, you're going to have a son. His name is going to be Methuselah. And Methuselah, when you kind of transliterate that name from the Hebrew, it means it will happen when he comes. It, it, it's like a dart thrower, and, and the idea there is a javelin in judgment. And Enoch got the message that, that when Methuselah died, now in, in God's grace, Methuselah was the oldest man that ever lived. That just shows you how patient he is, J.R. But uh, in his patience, um, he sent this message to Enoch, and Enoch repented of his sin and for the next 300 years, he walked with God. And then, of course, we know that God took him. So very important there. And uh, I'm going to be going through that. So, Jr., I invite you to to uh, sort of go along with us as we go through it. And as I said, I'm going to go through the first 10 chapters really, really quickly. Normally, we will read every line and all of the words. Uh, this is one example where we won't uh, because there's just not a lot of really practical information. I'll encourage the people at the church to read it uh, for themselves. Uh, but uh, once we get past chapter 10, in First and Second Chronicles, it really is a fascinating Bible study, and I'll be pointing out the differences between um, the King's accounts and the Chronicles accounts as we look at God's perspective. So I think it's really, really important. Are you still with us, Jr.? I am. I am, and thank you. That was great, uh, Pastor Ron. I was really, I'm really glad to hear you. you're getting ready to go through Chronicles because uh, I think that there's a couple. I, I really love going through uh, your library and everything. And Chronicles is one that that I haven't been able to find any uh, any of your teaching on. So yeah, you know, I'm you know, glad, J- I'm glad to find out. Yeah, you know, Jr. I I I was sure I had done Chronicles. Um, and I was surprised to find out that I didn't. And the reason I thought I was I had already done it is because in my studies in First and Second Kings, I referred to Chronicles so many times, and so I like doing it from that direction. Now I get to do it from the other direction. So uh, yeah, there's only two books that I haven't taught, um, and that's uh, First and Second Chronicles, and they're only one book in the original Hebrew Bible. Uh, but the other one will be Obadiah, and I'll finish that. That's a one chapter. Uh, prophecy. So once I get that, I will have gone through uh, the entire Old Testament. So I'm really excited about doing First and Second Chronicles. Of course, it's going to take a while because it's really, really rich. So if the Lord allows me to live that long, it will probably be about a year and a half, um, maybe a little bit more than that to get through both First and Second Chronicles. And that starts this coming Wednesday. So pray for me and, and uh, join us as we study through it. I'm really excited about it. Thank you so much, Pastor Ron. Uh-huh. All right. God bless you. Thank you very, very much. 
Uh, I'm glad he called. I was, Steve Winter, he's a great guy, and he's a wonderful Bible teacher. And so, you know, I've been wrestling with, okay, how exactly do I go through these first 10 chapters? And I was hoping J.R. would tell me, well, he did this, and he did that, and he did that, and give me some direction there. But I'm really excited about going through uh, going through the, the historical books, First and Second Chronicles. For me personally, and we're inside a couple of minutes here, so uh, I probably won't have time for another question this half of the program. Uh, but for me personally, um, my favorite books to teach are the historical books. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of, of uh, the poetic books. Uh, I loved Ecclesiastes. Teaching that was fun. Uh, but the historical books, uh, boy, they really thrill me. And uh, because God's perspective is the one that we all ought to be seeking, First uh, and Second Chronicles is going to be particularly exciting for me, and I can't wait to do it. J.R., thank you very, very much. Well, we are just about at the end of this first half of the program. We'd love to have your calls and comments to close out the week. Uh, area code 210-340-9585 uh, for your live calls and questions. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. You have been listening to the first half, which means we've got 30 minutes left in the program of the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. I'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question called into our studio from Ray. Could I have your thoughts on Nostradamus and Edgar Casey? Um, I wasn't familiar with Edgar Casey, so I Googled him real quick at the break, um, and it's the same kind of stuff. Nostradamus, remember, the people that claim to be in touch with spirits, uh, the spirit they're in touch with is the spirit of evil, the spirit of the devil. So, Ray, um, Nostradamus, um, you know, he missed so many prophecies uh, like every other clairvoyant or every other fortune teller. And Edgar Cayce, uh, who claimed to be speaking from uh, a higher self, um, this is just um, um, New Age nonsense. And just stay away from them. They're dangerous. They're certainly not of the Lord. And, um, you know, God makes it very clear in his Old Testament that that uh, Christians ought to stay away from those things. They, um, God hates those things. God wants us to trust him with the future. So, um, you know, Nostradamus predicted so many things that maybe he did get a couple of things right. And we have the ability to, with hindsight, to look and find out all kinds of things that maybe we can piece together. But when God is the one who's giving us a prophecy... It always comes true, 100%, and you don't have to piece things together, and he never misses. The fact that any of these clairvoyants miss anything at all, I mean, miss anything at all. When I grew up, it was Gene Dixon and Kenny Kingston and and, and others that were pretty famous. Uh, the reality is they were... They were dabbling with evil spirits and certainly not something any Christian should be involved with. Thank you for the question, Ray. Thanks for calling in. Here is a question. This one is anonymous. Um, If Muslims believe in Jesus as a prophet or messenger of God, why don't they do what Jesus said or taught? You know, one of the things we have to do, and I get this question from Muslims who call in, Um, They don't understand. They think they're honoring Jesus by calling him a prophet or, in this case, a messenger of God. But that's a demotion because Jesus is almighty God himself. And so to call him a prophet is to 
um, relegate him to uh, less than he is. And that, of course, is blasphemy. And so the reason they don't do what Jesus said, uh, they don't do what Jesus taught, is because they don't really believe in, in Jesus of the Bible, the Son of God, who is God the Son. So uh, this is one of the problems. And we used to have some some Muslim callers would say, well, we, we love Jesus. We, we venerate Jesus. He's a prophet of God. And, and, and that is to put him in a position less than he is. And that is the very definition of heresy anonymous. So um, no value to a Jesus who isn't almighty God himself. Here's a question from Kim from our email inbox. Kim says, I heard the word cessationism today. What is it? What does it mean? Uh, Kim, cessationism means they, they believe that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. And, and typically, and there are different times. Uh, Jesus, when he um, um, went to heaven, uh, the book of Acts closed, then the gifts of the Spirit stopped. Uh, others say no. It's when the canon of Scripture was codified. That's when the gifts of the Spirit stopped. The problem with both of those views is that they're not biblical at all. Kim, the gifts of the Spirit have not stopped. Now there are different applications of those gifts. Um, um, the gift of prophecy, for example, is the foretelling of God's word, uh, encouraging reading it. Uh, and, and declaring it. Uh, it's not the telling of the future. Those, that The office of prophet is ceased, but the gift of prophecy uh, for the, the building up of the church still exists. And um, uh, there's no hint at all uh, in the Bible that those gifts had stopped, and we're told they will not stop until we get to heaven when there's no more need for the gifts of the Spirit, because we will know everything. Just like we're known by God, we will know. So uh, that's all it means, Kim. And there is a, a, a pretty large group of uh, uh, people in church that believe the gifts of the Spirit uh, are not for today. Um, but that is um, imposing upon the scriptures because it simply doesn't say that. In fact, the opposite is true, especially in Paul's letters to the Corinthians. He talks about utilizing the gifts of the Spirit in a proper way. Now, one other thing I'd like to say about this, Kim, is a lot of times, and I know people who are cessationist, and their motive for being a cessationist is they see how often the gifts of the Spirit are abused in our church culture. And they just get sort of fed up with it. And I don't blame them because the abuse of the gifts is as bad or worse than um, um, somebody who says the gifts have stopped. Uh, it's just a different perspective based on experience. And and I think what what's happening is that they're overreacting to the abuses they see. You know, when people are falling around and laughing on the floor, uh, when they're being knocked over by these preachers, uh, when everybody's speaking in tongues at the same time, uh, that's just foolishness. And so I think the safe route for a lot of people say, well, well, that was then and, and not for now. The Holy Spirit is still active. He's still giving gifts. And Kim, you want every gift that God has for you. So ask him for him. Be filled. Be baptized with the Spirit. I don't care what you call it, but get it. Get the Spirit of God in you, coming through you, and he will use you. Uh, to uh, to be his messenger for others. Let's go to Caesar on line one from San Antonio. Caesar, thank you for holding. You're on the air. Yes, hi, Ron. Um, I just want to call in and just second what my wife said yesterday. Y'all's ministry is a blessing to us. Oh, uh, we you. do have our, our own home church and whatnot, but uh, we do like to listen to y'all on Sundays at 8.30 as we're getting ready to go to our service. And I know she said she listens to, to uh, Paula on Monday. So, you know, God bless y'all and thank y'all for that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I do have a question, and my questions are on Acts 2.38 and uh -huh. Acts 22.16. Uh, tw uh, 2.38, it says, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the other passage, 22.16, says, and now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, call in on his name. So my question is, I'm not a Catholic by no means, um, but it, th those verses do 
kind of sound like, you know, baptismal regeneration. So I just wanted uh, to uh, get your, your explanation on that and just have you expound on that. And just thank you again for, for all y'all do. And uh, I appreciate your answer in advance. Thank you, Caesar. Appreciate it very, very much. Two things. When, when in Acts 2 3, we have to remember the Jewish context of the passage, and Jews uh, were baptized for the repentance of sins. That's what they were doing. John the Baptist, of course, we're all familiar with his um, uh, ministry. Uh, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. The baptism itself didn't save anybody. Jesus, at John's point, hadn't even come, but that was a very Jewish response to dealing with sins. So when Peter says, uh, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, what he's saying is, baptism is your public declaration. We remember that Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. This was sort of a public profession. Caesar, in churches where uh, they they do invitations, we do churches where we give invitations, uh, and I challenge people to come forward publicly. And that's a public declaration. We also publicly declare our faith um, by baptism. Uh, it's one of the two sacraments of the New Testament church. Uh, and it is a, a public declaration before heaven and earth that the old me is dead. That's what we symbolize when we go under the water. And the new me has come up. And um, um, what we, we understand then is that... Um, we're declaring that we're new creation in Jesus Christ. So in in Acts chapter 2, when he says to be baptized, it's not to get saved. It is a public declaration that you are saved. That's the whole point of it. Now, in other places, uh, Mark, for example, says uh, uh, be baptized um, for the forgiveness of sins, and then it says, for everyone who believes, it doesn't say everyone who believes and will be baptized will be saved, for everyone who believes will be saved. So we've got to take the, 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 the whole of Scripture. We can't take these couple of verses written in a Jewish context and and decide that, well, baptism is necessary for regeneration. Baptism is a response, an obedient response to being saved. And of course, we all should be baptized, but we, we're, we're baptized because we're saved. We don't get baptized to get saved. Ephesians chapter 2 says, we're saved by grace through faith, and the faith not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. That's how we are saved. Believe. Um, John 3.16 um, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes it doesn't say anything about being baptized so we've got to take the the whole of scripture and we can't take these a couple verses and I know Church of Christ people do that I know there are others no you must be baptized Um, we should be baptized baptism is important but it doesn't save us it is a response to being saved a public declaration one other thought when Paul talks about his ministry. He says, you know, I'm glad that I didn't baptize any of you. And then the Holy Spirit reminded him of a couple of names of people that he did baptize. And and if baptism was necessary for salvation, then Paul would have been dunking everybody. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Nacho Libre, but he's going to be baptized, you know, and and, uh, um, Paul didn't do that. Uh, Baptism is an obedient response But baptism has no value in terms of being saved. Now, people say, well, baptism is important and you're diminishing it. No, I'm not. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. And every believer ought to be baptized. But to be baptized, you have to be a believer. It's not like you say, well, I'm thinking about Jesus, and then you get in the water. Okay, now I'm saved. The regeneration occurs Uh, At the the minute you ask Jesus Christ into your heart, you repent of your sins, you recognize by faith that he is the Son of God and God the Son, and then you surrender your life to him. That's when the Spirit of God comes in you, and according to Ephesians chapter 1, seals you, gives you a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. It doesn't say once you're baptized, then that inheritance 
is guaranteed. Thank you, Caesar. Appreciate it very, very much. Good questions. 340-9585. Ooh, I think I've got another call. Somebody told me. I've got Roy on line two. Roy, thank you for holding. You're on the air. Did we lose Roy? Oh, hi, Roy. Yes. yes. Oh, hello. Uh, I hope it's okay. Uh, I asked the other gentleman answered the phone if, if it was okay. Uh, I just want to tell you that uh, I did on my master's, which was about Mark Twain and religion, one of the subsections that we had to, I, I had to develop was something on uh, Nostradamus. And just as an interesting supplemental information, you might find this interesting. The mm-hmm. only, there's only two extent copies of the original quatrains. One is in Harvard, one's in Oxford, and there's only six there. All these things that people are writing, and they're making them up. They're not in the original. Mm-hmm. And the other interesting piece of supplemental information is this, is that uh, he wanted to be a medical doctor in France, and he couldn't get in because they wouldn't allow Jews in. His, he was actually the grandson of a rather famous Jew in, uh, in uh, Paris. But he converted to Christianity and adopted the name after Notre Dame, Notre Dameus. Mm-hmm. That's how he got into medical school. I just thought you might find that supplemental information interesting. Well, Roy, you're, I'll, I'll defer to your expertise because I don't know that much about Nostradamus, but that's interesting, and I appreciate your contribution. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to William on line three from San Antonio. William, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Happy birthday on your on your being saved. Thank you, William. Um, so I am teaching in John uh, this Sunday, and it's on the the man at the pool of Bethesda. Uh-huh. And I was going to ask you any special thoughts or anything that that's uh, you know I know you have awesome wisdom, so I'm calling you. <laughs> Oh, William, thank you very much. That's actually one of my favorite stories, and I teach on it a lot. Um, this this was a man, um, you know, at, at the pool, uh, people would gather. Now, now, this was not something that God was doing, but the people would gather around that pool, and there would be huge, huge crowds. Uh, you know, this pool has been uncovered by archaeologists and it's much bigger than was originally thought, and people would come from everywhere because the legend was, or the thought was, that that that, that an angel would come and trouble the water, and the first person that jumped in the water would be uh, healed. And so that, that was their hope. And um, the, the man who got healed, and, and I, I, I emphasize this every time I teach this, the man who got healed was the one person in that, in that place that had no hope of being healed. You see, at the beginning, he'd been coming for a long time. It said he's been uh, an invalid for 38 years. Later, we find out that his condition was caused by sin, probably sexual sin. And um, he said, nobody's here to help me get into the water. And, and it paints, I think, William, a, a picture of, of hopelessness. You know, at the beginning when he was carried by friends or family members to that pool, you know, he'd say, well, get ready, throw me in, and, 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 and he could never get there in time. And as the years passed, remember, he's been dealing with this, this, this being crippled for 38 years. Um, he knew he wasn't going to get healed. He knew that there was nobody. I mean, people would stop bringing him. They, they, he couldn't find help. And the way I picture it in my mind, William, is that uh, as people are focused on the water, he's listening. Somebody maybe gets splashed or hears a splash and he thinks, well, somebody got healed today, but it wasn't me. Well, that was the man that Jesus approached. That was the man that Jesus approached. And when I teach this passage, what I like to focus on is two things. One, Jesus approached the guy who had no hope. And Jesus asked him the question, do you want to be made well? Now, Jesus asked that question because not everybody wants to be well. But when we, he, he was asked that question, he was honest. I don't have anybody to help me, so I don't have any hope. and just given up. And that's when Jesus told him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And because it was the Sabbath, that would be a pretty radical thing. But the other focus is on all the people there. Because while they were focused on the water, they missed, William, they missed the presence of God. 
right in their midst. I mean, God was there. He could touch them. They could touch him. And because they were looking at the wrong things, they were looking essentially what everybody else was looking at. Their hope was in some legendary miracle. And because their focus was wrong, they missed the presence of God. And you know what I find especially interesting, William, is, you know, Jesus was known for healing all of the sick in places that he went. But because they weren't looking, because they weren't aware of his presence, there was only one man, one man who got healed. Later, the next morning, uh, Jesus, because of the, the healing on the Sabbath, caused quite a stir, and he had to go. But later the next morning, he made a point, William, of, of, of finding that man. And evidently, when the man picked up his mat and walked and was thrilled because everything was better now, I'm, I'm, I'm well, uh, evidently he went back to his old friends or his old way of life. And Jesus warned him very sternly, stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. So that's, again, one of my favorite stories. I probably talk about it too much, but I think the focus is Jesus went to the only man who couldn't help himself, the only man who had no hope in any other source, and then all of the other people who could have been healed, well, because they were looking for help in fruitless directions, they left that day, all of them, Still crippled, still sick. Thank you, William. Appreciate it very, very much. Good luck teaching it. It's fun. Here is a question from Zach M. Zach says, Hello, Pastor Ron. Thank you for your radio program. I've been listening to you for about a year and have a few questions I hope you can answer. I've been studying the King James Bible and always pray for the Holy Spirit to guide me to learn how to read it carefully. I'm learning that the people of Israel are not the true Jews in the land. Now, I'm going to stop there for a moment, Zach, because the people in Israel are the true Jews in the land. Remember, God gathered them from the nations. He gathered them from everywhere. They are Jews. Paul talks about circumcision of the heart, not circumcision of the body, but circumcision of the heart is what denotes a true Jew or true Israel. And so the people that were gathered from um, the, the nations in 1948, those are the true Jews. It's sort of like when uh, Babylon captured them and there was a 70-year exile and, and out of the millions that were taken away to Babylon in captivity, only about 50,000 went back. They were the true Jews. And so uh, you, you see you're learning that the, the people in Israel are not the true Jews in the land. You're learning something that's not true and has nothing to do with the King James Bible. Um, you're right. The Bible states that Christ will gather his people who are scattered across the earth. And there are many other scriptures stating this. And then he goes on to quote a, 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 a film um, and, and uh, uh, quotes a Dr. Oppenheim from Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Now, there's a couple things here that I want to warn you about, Zach, and, and uh, anybody else who is interested here. Um. It never ceases to amaze how many different theories there are regarding um, what happened to the lost tribes of Israel. Um, we've got British Israelism. Um, we've got black Hebrew um, Israelites. Uh, they claim that, that uh, Africans are the true uh, Jews. Uh, the, the British Israelites claim that the ancient Israelites mig migrated to England and other parts of Europe, most notably Spain. And a lot of the so-called lost tribes of Israel, they become Sephardic Jews or out of Spain. But the problem is that... There's never been a lost tribe in Israel. God knows where they are. In Revelation, when they talk about the 12 tribes of Israel, the, the, the 144,000 witnesses, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, God doesn't get to, to two of the tribes and say, wait a minute, I've lost the other 10. So this is just nonsense. Now, there is a motive, and it's an anti-Semitic motive behind this, Zach. That's why you've got to really be careful. These are people trying to prove that 
the people of God, the Jews, are not really Jews, and then they can lay claim to being the true Jews. And they just absolutely butcher the scriptures. And and uh, this is a heresy of the worst kind. Now, I'll, I'll bring it a little closer to the time that we live in, because there are some now using this to justify saying that that maybe the Palestinians are truly God's people and not the Jews. And again, this is just another anti-Semitic, hate-filled, evil doctrine. And you need to be really, really be careful. There's no lost tribes. Uh, Israel was deported to Assyria in 722 B.C., uh, and the people from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon um, were settling in Judah long before the Assyrian invasion. So there's plenty of authenticity about them. So what you are learning is not true, and you need to be really, really careful. Now, the geneticist that you've been quoting, or at least you quoted in your uh, in the totality of your email to me, uh, there are people with an agenda. And you need to be careful. Hold on to your King James Bible. Because your King James Bible has it right. Paul, Romans chapters 9 and 11 makes it really clear. Not all Israel is Israel. But the true Israel are those who are circumcised in heart. Zechariah talks about those who will recognize the one that they've pierced. And they will mourn as never before. Where did you get these wounds? I got these wounds in the house of my friends, he will say. And a remnant, Zechariah says, one-third of the Jews living there will then prove that they're true Israel. Hey, thank you for the questions, the phone calls today. It's been a great uh, afternoon for the program. Uh, It is also Dr. Peter Paley's birthday today. So if you see Dr. Peter around, give him a hug. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll be back on Monday. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.